Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. Don't hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss how to identify customer sentiment using more than just words, why asking for feedback shouldn't annoy customers, and a review of a new store without cashiers. Emojis, surveys, and sodas. Oh my! It's shocking how often people use 38 words to describe something when two would do the trick. We're looking at you, lawyers and accountants. Words matter, and there is no excuse for trying to hide what you mean. We explore words and messaging in this next iteration of Say What? You say, it's shocking how often people use 38 words to describe something when two would do the trick. And that was the basis for us originally creating this segment. But what if people didn't use any words at all? Well, I feel like that would make people even more difficult to understand, wouldn't it? Not necessarily. So digital customer service platform provider Spark Central recently completed an analysis of customers using emojis in customer service communications and found some very interesting results. So you know how some companies use these word clouds that show the size kind of represents how often a word might be used in a sentence or a paragraph or even an entire book? Well, they have built emoji clouds that show all the emojis that are used in various customer service experiences like chat sessions, direct messaging, social media. So let's listen as Spark Central's CEO, Joe Gagnon, explains. The emoji cloud is a new way to represent information. The cloud metaphor here allows us to look at the emphasis of each of the different emojis that a customer might have and look for patterns in those emojis as they communicate to a customer service rep or the rep communicating to them so that we can start to draw some insight from how people are feeling at the moment of interaction. And what we can do from this is we can click into one of those emojis that has a high emphasis, maybe that's a happy face or a sad face, and we can drill into the consumer sentiment that was present at that time that they actually clicked on the emoji in the message. And why it matters is it gives us a, a real-time way of interpreting how customers are feeling about the business or about a product um, at a very you know, sort of human level. Uh, that emoji is, is capturing you know, more than just the data. It's the feeling, which, of course, is what you know, we're all trying to get at. You know, it's sort of new because you know, emojis, while we've been using them personally to send you know, happy faces, sad faces to each other, the ability to do that with business is now emerging because we're using messaging platforms that support the graphical image of an emoji. You know, we can really look at information at a deeper and richer level to allow us both to assess how we're doing as a business, you know, create action plans off the insights that we take 
from reading the emojis. And, and then lastly, to give us all sort of everyone who looks at it, a common and consistent view. So we see this as a, a big emerging trend um, going past just columnar reports and into using emojis as a way to really understand customer satisfaction and sentiment. Yeah, I think this is pretty interesting, Dan, because, you know, I certainly use emojis in messages to friends and family and clients, but I I don't often think of them as being used as much in a customer service scenario, but clearly they are. And clearly there's a different level of understanding that folks can get when they're analyzing the emojis. I imagine it, you know, to Joe's point, it's another way to represent information. And lots of times that age old phrase, a picture's worth a thousand words. I think that probably holds even more true with emojis, right? That someone can just quickly look at the images and have a clear understanding of what's going on as it relates to the customer's feeling or the customer's sentiments in the moment. Well, yeah. And this is a result of a trend that's going on in digital customer service, which is this move to private messaging. So for a while, we had a trend of people coming to social media and being really public about complaints. And what we're finding is that whether it's Facebook Messenger or Twitter DM or WeChat or even SMS, that people are using their phones more and they are going to these private messaging channels. So when you're doing that on a mobile device, it becomes easier to use an emoji. And so then people are, I think, using it more often, which is sort of causing there now to be enough data that it's actually analyzable. Do you think people use the emojis more on mobile because they don't want to type everything with their thumbs? So basically a shortcut version and that maybe part of the reason we're seeing the rise in usage of emoji in uh, customer service scenarios is because more and more mobile is the platform people are using to communicate with brands? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's also a lot easier to access emojis on a mobile device than it is on, say, a desktop or a laptop. So they're not really built into the keyboard like they are on a mobile device. So yes, I think that's the other trend is that we're seeing so many more people accessing websites and and other areas where customer service can happen via a mobile device. So they are more apt to use these emojis. Yeah, I never know what to type to get the emoji of the wink with the tongue out. (laughs) Like, I just don't even know how to do it. Like, I can do the wink and I can do the tongue out. I can't do the wink and the tongue out emoji on a keyboard. Yeah, I don't know what the shortcut is. I have no idea what the shortcut is. Well, so we got a very interesting quote from Kelsey Walsh, the social media customer service manager at Zappos, the online shoe retailer. Kelsey says, and I'm quoting now, Emoji clouds are a great visual way to see both customer emotion and agent emotion. We feel like they represent a more realistic sentiment than just relying on words alone. We strive for an emotional connection with our customers. So the fact that we can see both customer sentiment and agent sentiment with the ability to drill into a specific emoji or emoji group and analyze what the context of the message is, is important to us. Unquote. What I think is particularly interesting, though, is that emojis don't always mean the same thing 
to everyone. Now, I'm personally reminded of the fist emoji. And I actually put a survey up on Twitter once and it got all this feedback because some people look at the fist emoji and they think it's a fist bump, which is like a positive. Hey, great job, fist bump. Others look at the fist emoji and think that it's a punch, which is very negative, right? Not so positive. And it's fascinating because, and and I'm telling you, it was 50-50 on Twitter, at least in my informal poll. It's really useful that when you're using a messaging tool that half the people think you mean something positive and the other half think you mean negative based on a single image. Exactly. And then there are also cultural differences that get thrown into this. So Spark Central looked at that part, and we're going to share a fascinating image in the show notes, but they put together a comparison of a US brand and an Indonesian brand and the different emojis that customers and agents use. And folks, go over to the show notes at experiencethisshow.com and check these out because I thought this image really brought this whole point home. To describe it, you've got an image of all the emojis used across the timeline from a US brand and then the same type of graph, but with an Indonesian brand. And a couple of things really stood out. First of all, there are about three times the number of emojis used with the US brand communication than with the Indonesian brand communication. Now, to be clear, we don't know exactly how the study was done or whether they were you know, indexing out for different carriers because different carriers use different emojis and things like that. So we weren't really sure on that. But even just the prolific nature of a variety of emojis being used in the U.S. as opposed to Indonesia kind of aligns culturally with the U.S. brand of a lot more independence and people feeling like they want to brand themselves and say their own thing. So I wasn't entirely surprised by that, but seeing the volume was pretty impressive. And you also saw emojis on the U.S. side that really didn't show up, or if they did show up on the Indonesian side, it was barely at all. Emojis like something being on fire or the siren and the high five. So it's like the emotional... It seemed like the emotional swing was higher in terms of the emojis used responding to the U.S. brand than the Indonesian brand. Well, yeah, and I think that is probably most seen in what is the biggest emoji in both countries, which therefore means the highest used. In the U.S., it's the smiley face with the heart eyes. And there are also, I have to say, a lot of other hearts of pretty much every color on the U.S. side. But the largest one on the Indonesian side was actually the praying hands. And I thought that was really fascinating, presumably meaning thank you, but we'd have to dig in a little bit more to figure that out. Some of the similarities, they both use the what I would call the shy face, which is the smiley with kind of the rosy cheeks. I don't know if that's its official name. But, but it is now, at least as far now. as the it's it's a new it's what I will call it from now on, Dan, the shy smiley. And uh, I also noticed that even there's some subtleties, right? So the in the U.S. brand, there's a smiley that has kind of an open mouth smile with some teeth at the top, whereas on the Indonesian brand, the one that pops is a smiley that has that full set of teeth, the top and the bottom teeth. Uh, I don't know if that means anything, but I do think it's fascinating that we use different symbols to say the same thing. And I think with increasingly global brands, being aware of the cultural differences is really important. In fact, here's Joe Gagnon again to explain some of the cultural differences that surfaced for them when they were analyzing this emoji usage. The intrigue with emojis is that there is actually a cultural bias that's used when people select them. We all know that there are certain cultures around the world that you know, are more discerning or more happy or, 
using different images to tell back to the the organizations they're talking to how they feel. And so we can compare country to country or location to location to see the different emphasis. You know, maybe it's the praying hands is the same as the happy face. It could be that the crying face is the same as the, you know, the unhappy one. And, and what we're able to do is to start to understand when we look across a global organization that the commonality in the way that the emoji was used tells us where that sentiment is coming from geographically. And so we get this very quick ability to drill into localized issues that are coming through because the emojis are telling a story deeper and richer than just the image themselves. So I'd say the summary here is that emojis, which have long been a tool of conversation in private messages, are increasingly emerging as a communication method in digital customer service channels as well. And the fact that they can be analyzed now and aggregated allows us to better understand customer sentiment and then work towards reducing negative and increasing the positive sentiment. You know, I think it's a lot easier for a customer service rep or really for anyone in your organization to look at an emoji and quickly, for lack of a better way of putting it, read a thousand words from a single image than to look at a giant word cloud with a lot of different words that they may connect with one or two of them, but then they move on. Agreed. So definitely something to keep an eye on as we move toward a world where more and more customer service interactions are happening online and people are using emojis to express themselves. You listen to us. Now we want to listen to you by visiting our website and sharing your remarkable customer experiences with us, we can share them with a broader audience. Now sit back and enjoy our listener stories. All right, it's time for another listener stories segment, one of my favorites, where we talk about your stories that you've shared with us on our website, which is, of course, www.experiencethisshow.com. Now you just click on the contact button in the upper right-hand corner, and you can easily leave us a digital voicemail with your customer experience story. So friend of the show and all-around cool gal, Dr. Anna Stumpf did exactly that recently, and here is her story. Hi, I just wanted to share an experience that I feel like might be able to be improved and that all of us could learn from. I am a 13-year season ticket holder for a professional sports team in my city, And they send a lot of emails, some of which are informative, but some of which are collecting information. But every email they send me has my name and my season ticket number, account number listed. And for surveys, like a recent one I got, they wanted to know would I be interested in purchasing season ticket holder parking, which I've not ever done in 13 years. But I had to click on the link and all of their surveys lead me to the first page where it is blank and it asks for my name, my address, my phone number, my email, and my season ticket holder number. All information that I know that they have and that I keep accurate with them. So after I fill all of that out myself again on the survey, the only question on the survey is, are you interested in learning more about parking for the upcoming season? Yes or no? I would have loved to have seen a thumbs up or thumbs down in the email they sent me rather than have to go through all of that. And I can't help but think 
major league sports probably have the money to pull that off. A couple things to unpack here. First, I want to get into this idea of asking people to share their information over and over. Yeah, and I need to pick myself up off the ground for this one because this drives me insane. Insane. I was very struck by Anna's description of an email that has her name and account number in the email. And then she clicks the survey and goes into the survey where it asked for, wait for it, her name and account number. They already knew her name and account number when they sent her the email. And the fact that they don't have that synced up with the survey, to be honest, I realize it requires a little bit more technical effort. But in 2019, it's mostly just lazy. It's mostly just lazy. Like that is pretty easy to sync up, especially if they're batching and sending that information out in the email message. To have a customized response coming back into the survey is not a difficult technical task. And the problem is, and I think, you know, you sense this in Anna's tone, and Anna, this isn't me being critical. I I thought Anna was incredibly calm and professional about this. I would have been probably freaking out a little bit more is it's completely disrespectful of her time. It's saying as a customer, hey, we want your feedback. Come fill out this survey and we want you to go look up your account number to tell us. It's like, seriously, guys, you can do better. Well, and it reminds me, it's basically the digital version of the IVR, which is the interactive voice responsive system or the recorded message you get and a toll-free number where it says, enter your account number and you go, and this is all right, now connecting you to an agent. And then the agent picks up and what's their first question? What's your account number? Yeah. By the way, let me be throw out a little pet peeve here. If your business is using an account number that is anything but the person's phone number, you're foolish to think they'll remember it. Yeah, why would they? Like, there's, there's no way. There's there's no way I'm walking around going, oh, yes, uh, my cable customer number is this, and my cell phone customer number is this. There's no way people are going to remember those numbers. And obviously, we don't want to use their social security number or some type of a personal identifier financial number. But it's uh, why companies in this day and age think that they're going to remember anything other than their phone number. I'm so happy when I interact with a brand and they're like, oh, do you have your card? And I'm like, absolutely not. They say, oh, we can look it up by your phone number. What is that? I'm like, thank you. I've had this phone number for 20 years. I would happily give you this phone number. <laughs> that one I know. You know. That one I know, you know? Uh, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So the other thing that Anna pointed out that I thought was really interesting was that there was really only one question to this survey, which is are you planning on purchasing parking? <laughs> now, there is also technology, Joey, that allows you to do that right in the email body. Right in the email, folks. You just click one thing and you'll know the answer. Exactly. And obviously, since her name and account number is already in the email, they could get the feedback with one click of the button. And we've talked before about how whenever you can reduce the number of clicks or reduce the effort for a customer, you're going to have happier customers. In this particular case, you are asking them to give you feedback, which is them doing a favor for you, but you're making it difficult. And I I don't really understand that. So I think keeping surveys simple is one of the key things to getting more people to participate, first of all, because oftentimes we don't get great response rates for surveys, and it's because they're too long and they're hard. And so keeping it simple in this particular case, putting it right in the body of the email would have been a heck of a lot easier. I'd also add in, don't ask foolish questions. 13 years in as a season ticket holder, when you've never purchased parking, I think it's okay for your brand to assume 
that Anna isn't interested in parking. And that if she becomes interested in parking as a 13-year season ticket holder, I bet she will reach out and let them know that she would like to explore a parking package. Well, or a better question would have been, why have you not purchased yes. parking? Why have you not? Do you understand how much more convenient it is? Do you know that we could do X, Y, and Z? Do you realize that it is just, you know, a little bit more than you're already paying or whatever? You know, make it part of the sale instead of just saying, Are you planning to do this? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Exactly. And I also find in other surveys that that sometimes companies ask so many questions because they feel like they're going to get all this useful data, but then they don't do anything with the data that they get. So I would urge people that if you're sending out a survey, if you don't know what you're going to do with the answer, whether the answer is 80% said yes, or the average rating was four, if you don't know what you're going to do with that data, then you shouldn't be asking the question. I was at an event recently where I was the closing keynote speaker. And when I finished, the organizer got up and said, great, and you're going to be getting a survey about the event. Tell us what you liked and tell us what you didn't like, because we're going to act on some of those things like we sometimes have in the past. (laughs) I kid you not. And I was sitting there and I was just like, Oh, no. Oh, no. That was not the way to frame this. And I just watched the audience. There were a couple hundred people in the audience. And I just looked and thought to myself, these people are not going to fill out the survey. You just told them, hey, make time to tell us what you liked and didn't like. And we may or may not, but probably will not because (laughs) we haven't in the past act on the information. Folks, I would rather have you not ask for a survey if you're not planning to use that information. Just don't do it. Just don't do any survey. Folks won't mind if you don't do a survey. Yeah, you don't do the survey just because you feel like you have to do the survey. You do it because you're trying to get some information that will help you do better in the future. And I'd say the last piece is don't make customers re-enter information. This is the number one complaint about customer service in general is that people don't like having to repeat themselves. This is the number one complaint about customer service in general. <laughs> so don't do it. I know you saw what I did there. Just stop. Just stop. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? In the last episode, Joey talked about his experience at the Amazon four-star store. So I wanted to follow up on that by sharing my recent experience at an Amazon Go store. Now, for those who aren't familiar, the Amazon Go store is like a convenience store, except there's no checkout area. You just walk in using an app to get you through the gate, you pick up what you want, and you leave. I am so jealous that you've been to an Amazon Go store. I have wanted to go to one of these stores for a long time because I'm just fascinated by this as a retail concept. Well, it was pretty cool. However, like the Amazon four-star store, there were some things that I liked about it and some things that I think could be improved in future iterations. So the first thing is you have to download an app, but that was easy to download and very easy to set up. You know, you connect it with your Amazon account, so it's got your credit card information and everything already there. And it basically gives you about two or three screens of like a tutorial. And, and the tutorial essentially says... Just walk in, pick up what you want. If you don't like it, put it back on the shelf. Don't worry, we'll get it all right. And then leave when you're done. And I was there with my son. And we, of course, were both fascinated about how it worked. And we're trying to 
figure it out as we were going through the store. So the store looks like just a convenience store. There's sodas and water and snacks and some sandwiches. And, you know, think of it as like a 7-Eleven, basically. It's kind of, that's what the inside sort of looked like. Are there any people in the store? Sorry, like any Amazon employees in the store? Or is it... There was one. There was one employee there. And that surprised me because I honestly thought there probably wouldn't be any employees. But she was very friendly. And most of what she was doing seemed to be answering questions. The the two biggest being, how does this work? And can I just leave? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Can I really just leave? This feels like stealing. Well, and the thing is, uh, so the app explained that it kept track of what you pick up and put down. So my son and I are looking like, are there sensors? If I, if I, and this was one of the the challenges, right? I figured, all right, if I pick up a soda from the shelf, then I'm going to look down at my app in real time and it's going to say one soda, soda in my cart. That isn't what happened. And likewise, when I put the soda back, it's like nothing, you know, there wasn't anything occurring in real time, which I thought was a little bit confusing. So we went through the store and we ended up each getting a soda, different kinds. And uh, and then we just walked out and no alarms went off. The police didn't start chasing us down the hall. Like We just kept on walking. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting is it took the app several minutes, four or five minutes to realize that we were gone. And when it did, sure enough, a receipt popped up on my screen with exactly the two items that we had left with. So when you say, if I can ask him, when you say exactly the two items, you mentioned you got two different types of soda. It had actually identified the two different types of on the receipt, or it just said two sodas? No, it had identified the two different ones because they were different priced as well. I think I got like, a, my son got like a sugary soda and I got like a carbonated water kind of thing. And so they were different prices. Yep, got the brand name, just as if the UPC had been scanned, the the little symbol on, on all product bars. So then I sort of figured, well, maybe it's sent sensors that are that that you know that scan what you have in your hands as you're walking out you know what if you're holding on to the can and you're covering up the UPC or whatever so i don't know it could be cameras I, I i really don't know but i thought the experience was interesting you know first of all because obviously this is incredible technology i mean the fact that it got this exactly right was amazing and i i still can't figure out how it did it but it was also, you know, a very clean, well-lit store. The prices were great. So the prices for those sodas were definitely less than if I had gone into a typical convenience store. So you sort of still have that Amazon value proposition that everything seems to be cheaper there. So I thought it all ended up working really, really well. And and I guess my only advice would be that I thought the tutorial might be a little bit more specific in terms of, no, this isn't real time. When you pick something up and put something down, it's not true tracking it real time. But it really is as simple as pick up what you want and walk out and it all works. And it's funny because in many ways, isn't this the ideal friction eliminator for all shopping? Can you imagine? I don't know about you. There have been plenty of times when I've been in a store where I know what I want. I'm happy to pay for it. I don't need to talk to another employee. I'm going to go in, I'm going to grab it, and I want to walk out. And usually the most frustrating, slowing piece of the process is the checkout. Whether it's a checkout with a customer or with a a rep from the company or an employee versus, you know, self-check, which if you pretty much go to any grocery store or now that the lines for the self-check are almost longer than the lines for the people checking them out because 
increasingly, I think most folks feel they can self-check themselves out faster they can, than they can have the employee check them out. Totally agree, and I'm reminded of our of our live episode when uh, Isabella Mangalo was borrowing my microphone, standing about three inches from my face, and she was talking about the shoes that she had bought that she loved or that she wanted to buy, and she was literally begging them to let her pay because she couldn't find somebody to take her money. So yeah, this does eliminate all of the friction, and uh, again, I, I I thought it was a very pleasant experience, great selection for a convenience store, quick and easy and Amazon pricing. So hope to see more of these in my neighborhood and yours. We've talked, you've listened. Now it's time to act. There are many things you could do to take what you've learned in this episode and implement it. But at times, that can feel overwhelming. Instead, why not just focus on three takeaways? Takeaway number one. Have you thought about analyzing the emojis that your customers use? Emoji symbols can speak volumes about how a customer is feeling. And now that digital customer service channels like messaging are growing quickly, now is a good time to start looking at how your customers may be talking to you without words. Takeaway number two, are you inadvertently annoying your customers by making things more difficult? Are there places in your customer journey where you could fill in the blanks for your customers instead of relying on them to do it? And are you using all of the data you're collecting from surveys or just asking the questions because you feel you have to? Takeaway number three, what can you learn from the Amazon Go store that can be applied to your business? Are there areas that you can automate to make the customer experience smoother and more enjoyable? Have you fully tested new apps and digital experiences to ensure that they answer all of your customers' questions? And those are the three takeaways for this episode. If you liked this episode, please consider telling a friend or 20 friends about the experience this show. And as always, thank you for listening. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This! We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. <laughs>